Father, we praise you, for you are awesome. We recognize that you have a plan, that the world is in a mess, and that following you is the best way through the mess. So please help us now. Speak to us through your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Zechariah chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8, page 541 in the Bibles that we give away, so if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand, someone will bring you one, it's our gift to you, going through the book of Zechariah verse by verse, and today we are at, uh, from fasting to feasting, God's plan for his people, part one. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather walk through your living room at night with the lights on or off, especially right after your small children have left all their toys on the floor, including Tinker Toys and Jacks? Lights on? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Would you rather walk through life in the dark or in the light of what God has revealed concerning his plan for the universe? It's the same kind of question, isn't it? Only even maybe more impactful to our lives. Uh, God has a plan. That's what we're seeing in chapter 8. He reveals his plan, especially for the end of time. In fact, the... uh, time period that this is referring to is the millennium. That's the thousand-year reign of Jesus once he returns. He returns, sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and reigns for a thousand years. That's the time that we're seeing in this passage. And in these first eight verses, we see that God is powerful enough to accomplish his plan. So let's read the first eight verses. The word of the Lord of armies came. The Lord of armies says this, I am extremely jealous for Zion. I am jealous for her with great wrath. The Lord says this, I will return to Zion and live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of armies will be called the holy mountain. The Lord of armies says this, Old men and women will again sit along the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of advanced age. The streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in them. The Lord of Armies says this, Though it may seem impossible to the remnant of this people in those days, should it also seem impossible to me? This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. The Lord of armies says this, I will save my people from the land of the east and the land of the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be their faithful and righteous God. Now, God spoke, actually, throughout the Bible a lot about the end of time and about Israel's place in that whole scenario. So it is important that we get this right, that we understand what he's saying here, though there are those who disagree uh, on these kinds of issues. So let's go ahead and start out because it begins, 
that God himself is Yahweh of the armies, okay? That phrase, verse 1, the word of the Lord of armies came, Lord of armies, is actually used 17 times in this chapter alone. He's saying something, isn't he? I mean, it's almost redundant where he says the same thing and he repeats himself. All right, so, but he's saying this for, a, for an important reason, okay? Now, different translations translate this uh, slightly differently. You have Lord of hosts, uh, Lord Almighty, I think is NIV, etc. cetera. Um, so what is he saying here? When it's all capital letters, Lord, that's Yahweh. That's the personal name God gave to his people, his own personal name, Yahweh. I do not know why it's not translated Yahweh. It should be. Uh, it's, it's actually used, I think it's 5,000 times in the Old Testament, okay? Maybe they've, I don't know, but it should, should be Yahweh, but there's very few translations that actually say Yahweh. Tzabawath uh, uh, is uh, armies, so it's Yahweh of armies. That's what it means. Uh, why do some say Lord of hosts? Uh, what's a host? Do you know what a host is? So why do they translate it like that? I don't know. A host is actually uh, angels, a group of angels, I think is what they're referring to, why that. And this, that is true. This is an army of angels. That's what it's referring to. But why not just translate it right like the CSB does, uh, Yahweh of armies, okay? Lord Almighty, it's not almighty. That is not the Hebrew word here. It is the Greek word when it was translated into the Septuagint, Pantocrator, is the Greek word. So apparently the NIV is going with the Greek instead of the Hebrew. But it is Yahweh of armies. And I think that's very important, especially since it's spoken of 17 times in this one chapter. We gotta get this right. What is he referring to? Well, Yahweh of armies is the armies refer to the angelic army. It is a reference to God who has an army of angels that he will use to defeat the enemy. Who's the enemy? Satan. Satan and his army of demons. There is a spiritual battle going on in the world as we speak, and if we don't get that, if we don't understand that, we're going to completely miss something very, very important, okay? So the armies refer to the angelic army. Let me read some different passages that bring this out. Look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. Speaking of Elisha, uh, and then it says, the king sent horses, chariots, and a massive army to Dothan, where Elisha was there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, oh, my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. 
Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So there was a spiritual army of angels all around. Elisha had already known that because God had revealed it to him. He was able to see a little more clearly into the spiritual realm. He recognized here, God, there was far more in, you know, and by the way, would you rather have an, an angelic army or this little puny army here uh, from the king of Aram? Yeah, okay, so that's what's going on. In fact, they just blind the army and actually later on, uh, take them to, uh, you know, to the city and the king. He says, wow, should we just kill them? And he says, no, 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 give them something to eat and then send them home. Okay, so that's what he did. But we see this complete different perspective when we understand the spiritual realm. There is an angelic army. God is in control of this army. Look at 2 Samuel 5, 24. Another interesting passage of scripture. This is David who is going to fight against the Philistines. And in chapter 5, verse 24, God is speaking to him and he says, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, act decisively for then the Lord will have gone out ahead of you to strike down the army of the Philistines. So David is told by God, don't go out and battle yet. But as soon as you hear the marching on the top of the balsam trees, <laughs> the angelic army is going ahead of you, then the Lord will go out ahead of you and strike the army of the Philistines. And that is exactly what takes place. And there's a decisive defeat of the enemy because God was on the side of David and brought this about. Look at Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Daniel 10. There's some strange passages of Scripture in the book of Daniel. Daniel, especially the second half of Daniel, is very similar to Zechariah with that apocalyptic language. But look at this. Uh, description here in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. It says, uh, this being, we'll see who he is in just a moment, don't be afraid, says to Daniel, don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me, for from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. Now, who is this guy? If you look at his description, we don't have time here, but in chapter 10, verses 1 through this, this uh, through uh, verse 11, it describes this being, and if you compare this description with the book of Revelation, you realize this is Jesus. 
Jesus appears to him and he says, you started praying, I was going to come and help explain what you were asking, but there was a battle going on. It took me 21 days to get there. This prince of Persia, clearly not just a Persian guy, all biblical scholars recognize this is a demonic being over the area of Persia, that there was this battle. Michael, the archangel, came and helped, defeated, then they, he came to him. Later on, you see it mentioning this same kind of battle again in verse 20 through chapter 11, verse 2, a prince of Persia and a prince of Greece. Apparently, the demonic realm also has a hierarchy of demonic beings, an army where Satan is the head of that army, and he has... Uh, chiefs over major areas of the world, and then little demons. By the way, if you've ever felt like you were being attacked by Satan, probably not. We're not important enough, <laughs> okay? Probably one of his demons, uh, you know, assigned to us, etc. but that's, uh, that's the way it's, it, it's being described here. So we have the demonic army has this hierarchy, the... Uh, Angelic army has this hierarchy. A hierarchy. Uh, Michael is called the archangel, so he's the chief of the angels. So this being, who I am saying I believe is Jesus, is even over him. Okay, we see this in Joshua chapter five, verse thirteen. Look at Joshua chapter five. We have uh, with Joshua. We have. Uh, He's about ready to go into the promised land. God has promised them to give them this land. They're supposed to go in, take it, destroy the enemy. But before they get here, there, this encounter takes place. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? I love this answer. Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. What he came across was not someone in favor of or opposed to what they were doing. It was the Lord himself. The Lord, who he says here, is the commander of the Lord's army. Which army? The angelic army, right? Okay, the commander. And by the way, so Joshua recognizes, whoa, this is God himself, bows down and worships, because you're only supposed to worship God alone. That's how we know this actually was God, what we would call a theophany, where God appears in a physical form. Uh, scholars believe that these theophanies are actually Christophanies. They are Jesus in a pre-incarnate form, uh, but it is Jesus who is the Lord of the armies. And so just like when Moses came into the presence of God and had to take off his shoes, his sandals, so Joshua here did the same thing. So we see this 
angelic army. It is very important that we recognize spiritual warfare is real. Um, Let me read something here in my study Bible. It says, spiritual warfare is a reality. From Genesis to Revelation, the scriptures paint a picture of a cosmic battle that is largely unseen. Satan is, in fact, the roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour, 1 Peter 5.8. Our enemy is an, is an accuser, Revelation 12.10. A deceiver, Revelation 20.10. A murderer and a liar, John 8.44. He is the ruler of this world, John 12.31. The dragon who dares to fight against the angels of God, Revelation 12, verse 7. So we see this spiritual warfare. I want you to imagine being in a boxing match with the invisible man. You got the picture? Boom. Right? Okay. You don't stand a chance. Right? Okay. Unless God is for you. Jab to the left. Boom. Got him. <laughs> okay. You see, this, there is a spiritual battle going on with a spiritual enemy that we most of the time cannot see. And if we don't get this thing, spiritual warfare, right, we're going to get hit. And it will hurt. But you don't have to get hit. I gotta. I have to take a, a sidestep here, okay? Um, we'll. Uh, we're gonna not go with the rest of the sermon, right? I, I need to share more about this. Uh, we, if we don't get this, this is basic Christianity. This is not rocket science. But because we don't typically live in this realm, we get annihilated. And see, God has a plan. And it's a plan that fits the real world, which is a spiritual world as well as a physical world. If we don't get this part right, then we get hurt and then we wonder why we're hurt, and then we get mad at God, and that's just, we gotta get this part right, okay? God has a very, it's actually fairly simple. We're also a part of the army. What is it? Um, is it Second Timothy 2, let's see here. Second Timothy I want to say two, yep, verse three. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. By the way, as soldiers, they're suffering. Okay, when you're in a battle, there's hardship. 
No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Who's the commanding officer? Jesus, right? That's what we saw, okay? So Yahweh of the armies, Jesus. He is the commander. We seek to please him. It's, he is first. By the way, it's all about eternal life, right? It's not about this little time period we live on this planet. Well, it really is because what we do in this time period determines what happens to us in eternal life. But really, if you compare it, 70 years compared to forever, this, it's, it's not rocket science. If we're living for the 80, 90 years, whatever we can scrap, you know, through. If we're living for that instead of the eternal life, we're backwards. And especially if we don't recognize we're actually living in a battle. We're living in a world that's messed up because Satan is trying to wreck it, okay? And he's trying to wreck us. So we've got to see this, see it in the reality that it is and live this out. Um, We are called to this idea. We're in a battle. So God provides battle armor for us, right? In uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, it speaks of how, you know, we're, we're in this battle and God has given us this armor, you know, what... I always go from top to bottom, but the Bible doesn't give it from top to bottom. I think it starts out with the belt of, of truth, and then it goes the breastplate of righteousness, then the helmet of salvation, then shoes, gospel of peace. Okay, it's actually the shoes with your feet, you're supposed to go share the gospel of peace. Okay, because here's the really cool thing about this battle it's unlike most battles. God allows the enemy to switch kingdoms at any moment, just as we heard in that wonderful presentation of the Lord's Supper. It doesn't matter what you've done for the enemy. He allows you to switch and be born again. In fact, that's what we're supposed to be all about, helping people switch (laughs) kingdoms so that they come and they're in this army instead of the enemy's army. By the way, if you haven't switched, you are fighting for the enemy, whether you think so or not. So there's this battle going on. We're living in this battle. If we think it's all about vacation, then we miss it. We get sidetracked. We get... Maybe, maybe God doesn't, or Satan doesn't even hit you because he kind of likes having you sidetracked and not finding your spot, your place that as a soldier, how to do this. And, and so God has this very, as I say, it's not rocket science, very simple plan, okay? He wants to, through the church, reach as many people as possible to switch kingdoms and enter into eternal life both now and forever. So you get eternal life. Right when, you, right when you're born again, you receive eternal life. Okay? When you make that decision where you repent of your sins, 
I don't want to live like that anymore. I recognize that is the wrong way to live. I'm turning from that, and I'm turning to you, O God, but I'm recognizing I can't stop, so I'm trusting in you to forgive me and save me from my sin. So I'm believing that Jesus died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven completely and totally. He paid the penalty I was supposed to pay. Jesus, when he was on that cross, he paid the penalty that thief was supposed to pay. That's why he got the promise, you get to go to paradise today, okay? Completely forgiven. So you repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus. Now, unless you're on a cross dying, you then also outwardly express that faith in baptism. Now, the thief on the cross didn't get to do that, right? <laughs> okay, okay, but, but that's, that's God's plan. That's how you start, right? But then you, it's, that's just the beginning. So now you're born again. Now you're a part of God's family, but specifically a part of a church. See, God's plan is to defeat the enemy through local churches. That's his plan. Um, and so many people today, Satan has got them sidetracked to where they are even Christians, but they're not a part of a local church. And so they're not involved in the way God wants you to be involved. Look at um, Hebrews chapter 10. I don't have any page numbers, sorry. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. He says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. That's once you get the eternal life, that's your confession of our hope, okay? But then he goes on, he says, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. So we're supposed to actually, we don't, it's not an individualistic thing. Yes, it is very individual that you get saved, Okay, nobody can get saved for you. But once you're saved, you're saved into the body of Christ. So you're a part of God's people, and so we're supposed to start taking care of each other. So, uh, so he says, let us watch out for one another. Then look at verse 25, and here's how we best can watch out for one another. Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So not neglecting to gather together. Now this word gather together in the Greek is synagogue. Try to say that real fast. Okay. Synagogue. Do you hear a word in that? You hear synagogue, right? Because that's the word to, for the people to gather together in the local synagogue. So the, the, the church, the early church took the pattern of the synagogue right as its pattern. They gathered together regularly in a local setting with leaders, elders and deacons of each little church, okay? So this whole, you know, oh, I'm just part of the universal church. Woo. You know, yes, we are, that is true, but the Bible doesn't focus on that at all. It focuses on the local churches. This is how God, who is the, he's the commander, he uses this local church, he uses uh, Calvary Chapel, he uses, you know, uh, 
what's that church in Seoul, Korea? That one. You know, he uses all these different local churches, right? Okay. And he has a, a leadership that, that's kind of like an army, right? And, and we're supposed to be united, by the way. That's another way Satan loves to wreck the plan. Get the people of God to start bickering about each other. Okay? Get them to start talking about each other behind their back. Right? To just, or wherever, yeah. You know? So to, to, that's his plan. And, and also to keep you from gathering together regularly. It's okay to go on vacation. That's not what I'm saying. But when we're neglecting for like half a year, there, there's, there's, can I just say this? Yes, I can. Hockey's going to come up in a little while. And you're going to be tempted to keep your kids out of church for six months because of hockey. That's Satan's plan. It's not good. And here's God's plan. Gathering us together. And by the way, you also need nourishment. Don't you? As soldiers, you know, you think of the Revolutionary War. They, they didn't have shoes sometimes. They needed some shoes, didn't they? And they needed food. You got to have nourishment, spiritual nourishment. We're talking about a spiritual battle, right? How do you get spiritual nourishment? It's very, very simple. Uh, what is it? Uh, Joshua. Let's go back to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. Uh, Joshua 1, he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. That's verse 6. Verse 8. This book of instruction talking about the Bible. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. So we have to eat the word spiritually, not not literally, okay? Spiritually. So every Christian, you need to read the Bible every day. That's, that is basic 101 Christianity. And yet if we took a poll, I'll bet you most of you are not reading the Bible every day. That's what Satan wants. He wants you to be malnourished. He wants you to be sidetracked. Because if you're not influenced by the Bible, you're going to be influenced by the world. Because I'll bet you, you are in the world every day, right? So we have to be digging in and also gathering regularly. So this is God's plan. We gather regularly, we hear his word, we worship him. By the way, the presence of God, you got to have that wherever you go. It's, it's like in, the, in this army, you have the little walkie-talkie, and the, and the commander is telling you what to do, Right? But if the walkie-talkie breaks, what happens? I don't know. Do they still have (laughs) walkie-talkies? Okay. (laughs) Okay. You got to have that communion with God, which we get forever and ever, right? And we get now. But it's now it has to be the focus of the battle. And, yeah, we're going to go through stuff. Yeah, we're going to get hurt, but it's actually fairly simple. Trust God. He's Yahweh of the armies. He's going to win the battle. No question. 
So trust God. Do what you're supposed to do. By the way, there's a bunch of bombs out there. If you play with the bombs, you're going to get hurt. Pornography is a bomb. You don't touch it. You don't even go anywhere near it, right? Anywhere near it. You don't even get close to it. I love that movie. He throws his computer away. If that's what it takes. Worry is another bomb. You go anywhere near that. Now I'm, get, now I'm meddling, right? <laughs> okay. You go, it's, a, it's Satan. He wants to hurt you. So we just don't touch that stuff. We don't go anywhere near the garbage, okay? So you do what you're supposed to do in the power of the Lord. He will help as you seek him. He fills you with his spirit. You get filled up, and then you pour out, and you help, and you, you minister to the, to the rest of your soldiers, and then you go out together, and you reach the enemy. So you find your part. Everybody has a part. Some are radio. Some are, you know, shoot the gun, some are whatever, you know, but you find your part, right? Does this make sense? Let's pray. Father, forgive us for trying to change the plan to suit our laziness, our selfishness, our, our whatever, our unbelief, and help us to truly see you as Yahweh of the armies. And we know you win. And we recognize that in a battle, yes, some of us are going to get hurt, and some worse than others. And so we always come alongside and help. And sometimes it's just inevitable struggles that take place. But sometimes it's because we weren't watching. We were playing with a bomb. Lord, forgive us for those times. Help us to get this. And if there's someone here, and I know you've been speaking to them all the way through the whole service, with the Lord's Supper, with that call to forgiveness someone here who doesn't know you they're on the outside looking in please draw them in today lead them to repent and place their faith in you and then we'll have a glorious baptism at the end of this month but help us all I know there are some wounded soldiers here going through cancer going through other difficulties, I pray that you would heal, that you would do great and awesome things because you're Yahweh of the armies, that you would bind us together, unite us together as your people, and use us for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name.